0: Hello there, everybody, and welcome to Things We Said Today, our weekly virtual podcast where we discuss all matter of things relating to the Beatles, their their history, what's happening now, what may be happening in the future. Uh, I'm Al Sussman from Beetle Fan Magazine, and I'm here with my my three co-hosts. First of all, the host of the rapidly expanding syndicated Beatles show Every Little Thing and that's Ken Michaels. Hey Ken.
1: Thank you, Al. You've been paying attention to my Facebook post. Yes
0: I have. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have no, to I have admit,
1: something I have something like twenty to twenty one stations now.
0: Before the end of the show we'll have to take a a, a tour through the last uh, you know the 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 recent editions.
1: Okay, sure. Definitely. Hi everybody and happy new year.
0: <laughs> and uh and our uh, our resident uh, rock journalist Beatles uh journalist who does uh, freelance work for Billboard magazine and uh axes.com, axs.com and various other uh sources and that's uh, Steve Marinucci. Hey, Al. uh hello everyone. Happy new year. Happy new year uh, to you too and to everybody. And our uh, resident musicologist, uh, longtime classical music uh, contributor, classical music reviewer for the New York Times. And as a matter of fact, um, a new piece by uh, Mr. Cozen is uh, uh, currently, in fact, it reached the the Times website, I believe, on Sunday and (laughs) uh, the print paper today. I think uh, it was the Times
2: website had it Saturday night. Um, and then, oh,
0: okay. Yeah. And that's a, uh, um, it's apropos of what we're, g- we're going to be talking about. And uh, that, of course, is Alan Kozen.
2: Hello, Al. Hello, everyone. And Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year to you. And um, unfortunately, we're going to be talking about something that we spent a lot of time talking about during 2016. And that's death. Uh, 2016 seemed to be, it was one of those years when there seemed to be an awful lot of notable pop culture figures, uh, figures, celebrity figures, any number of, uh, 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 of prominent figures in, in history who departed this life during 2016. And, uh, the music world seemed to be particularly hard hit. And we, um, in the two weeks since we last, uh, gathered together, uh, we've gotten, uh, another cluster of, um, what you might call departures from, uh, from this life, two significant figures in the, uh, the early formative years of the Beatles and, uh, and two, uh, pop culture figures with connections to one or more uh, of the Beatles. So I think first we're going to start back on, um, on Christmas Day with the passing of George Michael, who was a major pop star. In the, in the 80s and early 90s. And um, I had actually forgotten, um, and uh, you know, uh, probably a lot of people had forgotten, the fact that actually he has a connection with Paul McCartney. And Ken will explain that to us. Well,
1: I know it, it probably started with uh, a concert that took place in 1999. It was a tribute concert to Linda McCartney that happened at the Royal Albert Hall and George Michael performed there. And as a tribute to Linda, he performed the long and winding road. And he also performed one of his huge hits, which was faith. And Mm. if you've ever gotten to see that concert, you should watch his performance of the long and winding road. He, you know, George Michael to me was an amazing singer. He listened to the way that he delivers "The long and winding road to perfection. And especially when it comes to ballads in his career, he, was, he had one of the most powerful voices I've ever heard. But um, he was there for that concert. He later appeared with Paul McCartney on stage when mm-hmm. Paul was at Live 8. And um, he and his band, Paul and his band, did Drive My Car, and George Michael ran up on stage and sang it with Paul. And then, um, not long after that, George Michael released a duet with Paul McCartney for a song called Heal the Pain, which was actually an older song of George's, and it was on his album Listen Without Prejudice, which came out in 1991. And it's really a beautiful duet, and Paul and George Michael sound fantastic. Their voices blended well together. I played that song a lot on my own radio show, My Neighbor Little Thing, and every time I played it, I always said I wish those two did more together because their voices just sounded so good together. But uh, there are those three connections right there with George Michael, and Paul himself issued a statement, you know, Mm -hmm. sorrow over over his death and uh, a tremendous loss. I mean, we've had so many losses this past year and it's it's really hard to comprehend it all. And for me, whenever it's someone this young and George Michael was only 53, that's the shocking thing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Prince also was, I think, 57. Fif- uh, 58. 58, okay. Yeah. So when you think about it, we've lost almost all the biggest hit makers of the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, you know, Michael Jackson, Prince, now George Michael. I mean, Madonna's still here. <laughs> uh, right, Madonna. Whitney Houston. Well, Yeah, exactly. So when it's a decade that's only a few decades ago, you know, you expect yeah. it. So when, it's, uh, when you're going back to the 50s and 60s, you kind of expect it. When it's the 80s and someone this young, I mean, I, I just couldn't believe it. I actually found out from Steve's post <laughs> on Facebook mm-hmm. about it. I just couldn't believe it. I'm stunned, you know. And I realize probably we should accept this easier as time goes on. But when it's someone this young, I, I don't know if I ever can totally comprehend it. And
0: well, have- you, you, you can kind of accept Somebody who passes when they're in their, you know, in, in their 70s, late 60s, in their 70s, beyond that. But 53 in this yeah. day and age, that's awful young. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: and they, they have not, as of, uh, I'm looking now while we're doing this, and they have not come up with a cause of death. Right. That's right. going to be the big question. Yeah. If, they still well,
0: have not really conclusively come up with a, a cause of death. Mm-hmm.
1: well they have reported that he suffered a lot from depression right. and um, he did have drug problems
0: mm-hmm.
1: so uh, we don't know if that was the cause or not but uh, from my own perspective I just think George Michael was a brilliant brilliant artist and even though my knowledge of him doesn't go that much beyond his hits and the Faith album just that album alone was was an amazing It's one of the best albums of the 80's and, and kind of like what I admire in a lot of artists who really stretch and do a lot of different styles, George Michael was a lot like that, you know, mm-hmm. and just an incredible voice. I mean, just listen to a song like One More Try, which is one of the... I mean, he could have easily have been uh, a torch singer, you know. Yeah, or, it, it,
0: it was, that's a wonderful record. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and uh, the first song that actually was a, a solo hit for George Michael um, was called A Different Corner, and it's one that doesn't get airplay all that much but give a listen to that that's an amazing beautiful song and powerful vocals from that but for anyone that has never investigated george michael go on youtube listen listen to his stuff he he was he was really extremely talented
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know you mentioned the fact that he had had bouts with depression yeah uh in in 1990 he did an interview with um, Robert Hilburn for mm. the uh, Los Angeles Times, their calendar, uh, I guess, Sunday magazine. And he said, uh, and I'm quoting, I'm not stupid enough to think that I can deal with uh, with another 10 or 15 years of major exposure. Let's see, uh, um, I think that is the uh, the ultimate tragedy of fame people who are simply out of control, who are lost. I've seen so many of them, and I don't want to be another cliche. Hmm. Now, among the people who, who saw that particular interview was Frank Sinatra. Right. And he, um, he sent a letter in, and, uh, and you have to remember that at that point in time, Frank Sinatra was probably uh, one of four people in the world who knew the kind of mega fame that he had had. And the other three were the then three surviving ex-Beatles. Uh-huh. And what um, what the chairman had to say in part was, um, I don't understand a guy who lives... Quote, in hopes of reducing the strain of his celebrity status, unquote. Here's a kid who, quote, wanted to be a pop star since I was about seven years old, unquote. And now that he's a smash performer and songwriter at 27, he wants to quit doing uh, what tons of gifted youngsters all over the world would shoot grandma for, just mm. one crack uh, at what he's complaining about. Come on, George, loosen up. Swing man, <laughs> dust off, dust off, dust off those gossamer wings, uh, and fly yourself to the moon of your of your choice, and be grateful to carry the uh, the baggage we've all had to carry since uh, those lean nights of sleeping on buses and and helping the driver unload the instruments. And no more of that talk about the tragedy of fame. The tragedy of fame is when no one shows up, and you're singing to the cleaning lady in some. Uh, in some empty joint that hasn't seen a paying customer since St. Swith- uh, Swithin's Day, and you're nowhere near that. You're top dog on the, uh, on the top rung of a tall ladder called stardom, mm. which in Latin means thanks to the fans who were there when it was lonely. Mm-hmm. That's the chairman of the board countering, well, yeah. countering George Michael.
1: I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that read that letter and agreed with Frank. Mm-hmm. But everybody responds to fame in different ways. I mean, all you got to do is study the Beatles and you'd know that. Right. Because, uh, I mean, look at George. George was the first one who really didn't find happiness in this level of fame. And he was looking for something else. And even John wasn't all that happy. And he would often feel guilty for, for the fame that he got. That he didn't sure. deserve it. So, so everybody has a different way of handling fame. And but I think
2: Frank was in that generation where you know depression wasn't really taken seriously as a as yeah you know a, a problem. Mm.
0: You know, That's a good point. Yeah, you know yeah. if you ha- if you were depressed you you <laughs> you you buried it under a uh, you know a, hmm. a glass of Jack Daniels. <laughs>
1: Well you know there there's a little similarity here between uh George Michael and George Harrison in a way because I always remember that George Harrison said that he couldn't handle the mania or the adulation. Yes. And there there's a difference between being appreciated and being idolized. You know and and, and you know the adulation and I think George Michael expressed some of the same words mm. in his career. So mm-hmm. uh you know, he liked being a success, but he didn't like the craziness and and the idolatry that he had to face, which I think was was more in England than in here,
0: because right. his
1: success continued more in England. Whereas mm-hmm. in the nineties, the nineties, he had some hits here, it wasn't nearly what he had in the eighties. No, I mean the Faith album was was a monster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was it was almost kind of you know in the category of thriller. You know,
3: it had a lot of hits from that album, so he got constant airplay. You know, but at the same time, though, um, there were aspects of of Michael that that were kind of, at least to me, were a little irritating. The whole listen, listen without prejudice thing. I mean, kind of dictating to people how they, you know, how they should listen to him. I, I never, I never bought into that. I never thought that was a good a good move on his part. Explain
0: but, the uh, "listen without prejudice."
3: Well, I mean that was the title of the album. That was the title ah, of this album, and right. and mm-hmm. and and you know, you're basically telling people. You know, I mean, you're, you know, you're basically, you know, ordering people uh, how to, uh, you know, how to appreciate something, and I and and that you know that kind of that's a little too presumptuous, you know, uh, it's just, it just doesn't work. But I mean, you know, maybe there was a, you know, maybe there was another thing going on there that, I mean, I have to admit I I wasn't a big fan of his, but, and I, but I do, you know, I do like some of the songs that he did, but that was kind of a, that was kind of a bad move on, I think on his part and not to, not to slag him a whole bunch after he's gone, but I'm just saying that, you know, that kind of dictating your stardom does not work. So I don't know. So In I, any event,
1: well, I think he was a tremendous talent. And I no, think I,
3: I'm, he, I'm, I'm not saying he wasn't tremendous. I'm just saying that kind of that kind of uh, playing that kind of game. Uh, I mean, to a certain extent, Lady Gaga is doing the same thing. You know, with changing every every you know every time she comes comes out. You know, the continual evolution.
0: Although yeah. a thing with her it seems that she I think I think her association with Tony Bennett has been a good thing. Uh-huh. Because mm-hmm. I, I've noticed that, you know, recently and especially with this last album, she's gotten away from the gimmicks and the costumes and mm-hmm. all the and all the nonsense and she's, you know, letting her considerable talent speak for her.
3: He has a way of getting of Doing that. I mean look what he did mm-hmm. with Katie Lang. I mean that yes. was that was really that was a great album the two of them did together. Yeah. So, well, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a good point. But um, mm-hmm. anyway. Absolutely. Enough about we're not talking about Tony
0: Bennett. Yes, so. yeah, Tony yeah. Tony is still here. Tony and, is still here. <laughs> and Lady Gaga turned, is still here and just turn is, so. is still here. Yep. But we did have this um, incredibly sad story that, uh, that uh, morphed over the course of Christmas weekend and into uh, this, this past week with on the Friday before Christmas uh, Carrie Fisher having a serious either heart attack or stroke of her different, uh, different accounts uh, on a plane uh, going into LAX And uh, and by the following Tuesday, she had uh, she had passed on to be followed a day later by her mother, Debbie Mm -hmm. Reynolds. Right. And uh, but uh, um, Steve was one of the first people to uh, to bring up the fact that uh, that there are also some there is a well, as it turns out, more than one connection, a Beatle world connection uh, involving Carrie Fisher. Uh, One is certainly with uh, with a Beatle, Ringo Starr, and Mm -hmm. one with a uh, a Beatle son.
3: Well, I mean, everybody, all the reports, you know, focused in on all all the things that Sean Lennon said and how they were close friends. But it was funny that a couple of weeks before that, I was in a local record store and I was going through their bargain section and, they, and I found the EPK for Friendly Fire for Sean's album. And the DVD has, has Carrie in it and mm-hmm. I just posted actually this afternoon posted the video that she's in and I, ha- I haven't had a chance to look up to see if there's more stuff that she did with him, but somebody told me that she has written songs with him, and she also was one of the artists against fracking. That that you know that campaign that he and Yoko were heavily into. So there was there was the uh, the the friendship connection. And of course, he posted those great pictures. The one of the two of them back to back hugging each other was just just a tearjerker. Mm. Um, but there was a definite you know there was a definite uh, connection there between the two of them and, and it's you know it's beautiful that uh that, that connection is is known and it was more than just a friendship. I mean there was there was an art uh, you know artistic uh connection as well as a friendship and well, Sean, uh, Sean did say
1: I mean they had something in common there being the child of someone really famous and how to go with that. So, right. you know, they can relate on that level. And right.
3: But it was it was more than that though. I mean there was more yeah. Going on, I mean, they shared. They shared political beliefs. They shared, um, you know, they shared. uh, She contributed to his music, so um, there's, yeah, there's a little more to it than that. But that's that's again, that's that whole thing is really sad. Especially the the part about Debbie Reynolds. I mean, that and at the end of the year, that just made you want to break down. uh, You know, just uh, that was just a horrible, horrible end
0: to the to the year incredibly sad
3: yeah incredibly really,
0: sad and then the there ringo connection yes
2: you were going to talk it to. A,
0: right the other the and other, that the was other and
2: that was really very shortly after she became famous as princess yes. Leia. it was like a year later right mm-hmm. yeah uh-huh. she appeared in um ringo's tv special um, right what
0: was that called
2: i can't remember the name of that
0: I Written think I, I think officially it was just called Ringo, but it's it's yeah. become known as the the, the Ogner Rats. <laughs> and right. some some irreverent souls have uh, have brought up the fact that in the that um, in the same year uh, Carrie Fisher appeared in the Ogner Rats special and in the legendarily bad Star Wars Christmas special i tried
3: to watch that this christmas and uh it's hard to get through that thing i'll tell you it really 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 is it's bad it is bad i mean they were all i guess uh hamel was she was supposed to be well let's put it this way they were not all uh yeah they were uh they were enjoying that let's put it that way um but uh,
2: wow. I really liked the Ognerat special, though. I mean, I, I don't know. It's everyone sort of dismisses it, but I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, it had a great cast. Besides Carrie mm-hmm. Fisher, there was Art Carney as Art Ringo. Ringo's right. father. Yeah. Carrie mm-hmm. Fisher was his girlfriend. John Ritter. Uh, John Ritter. Uh, mm-hmm. Angie Dickinson was wasn't she? Yep. It? Uh, uh-huh. yep. And uh, you know, we've a lot of us have seen the outtakes of. Of that and it's astonishing that they were able to even get a special together, given the way the outtakes look. But um, mm. because this was before Ringo went to become uh, sober, um, yes, <laughs> and, and you know, it's 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 hard to watch. I mean, it's not even really funny or anything. It's just you know. Bad, but nevertheless, they got together a, a TV special in which you know, the, sort of like a Prince and the Pauper kind of story, where Ringo switches identity with Agna Rats, who's a you know tour guide, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the star's yep. houses and and mm-hmm. all that. And then at the end, you know, they're trying to put together a Ringo special, and uh, you know, basically the idea is to do a bunch of songs from. Um, you know, I guess what was it? Bad Boy probably was the album. Yeah,
1: at the time. Uh, yes, that was it. Uh, there were yeah. there were three three songs that he and his band did at the time, and yeah. that's you know I haven't seen this special for quite a while, but that's what I always remember most.
2: Yeah, Hard on my. These three, three songs live. Yeah. Yeah. Hard
1: Times was on there. It was yeah. a good mm-hmm. version of that. Yep, yeah. yeah, that's a good rock song. Hard Times
2: and a cameo from George Harrison too. Let's not forget.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. uh, and if I'm, I remember, I'm, I'm, uh, wasn't a man like me over the uh, the mm. credits at the end? Mm-hmm. And I don't. And we're
1: to... forgetting we're forgetting Carrie Fisher sang "You're 16 with Ringo. Right. That's
0: right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: So, but I didn't see it mentioned in a single obit. I mean, apart from Steve. Um, I was going to say, know. it. Steve,
0: <laughs> uh, I know Steve posted it, but that was yeah. about, uh, that was about it. Yeah, I've well, been thinking I think, oh,
2: of sending a note in to my pals at the time saying, hey, <laughs> hey, Beatles connection, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, all the people, you know, all the accounts, basically everything was about. Star Wars, Princess Leia, and, you know, totally forgot the, you know, the ha Hannah and her sisters, uh, the fact that she was in Shampoo with uh, right. Warren Beatty when she Array. was, what, 17 or 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the you Blues know, she Brothers. Had, I think the, the Blues Times Brothers had
2: those. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. She was in an awful lot of stuff, really. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: When Harry met Sally. Yeah. yeah. She was kept fairly busy.
0: Yeah, she had a, you know, she had a very, a much more, uh, you know, a much more diverse career than you would you would think from at least some of, you know, not so much the Times uh and we'll be getting into Times bits in a moment, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> somebody here has written one very recently, mm-hmm. um, but in most of the other Obits uh in you know, in pop culture land. It was basically a one trick pony. There, you know, it was just Princess Leia, Princess Leia, Princess Leia. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and that's very sad.
0: It really is.
1: You know, when you're dealing with something that's a dynasty like Star Wars has become,
3: Mm
1: -hmm. you know, it's just amazing forty years later, (laughs) how big Star Wars is. Same thing with, you know, Star Trek or, you know. Yeah, It's a franchise, and yeah. it's something that never dies. It just keeps growing and growing and growing.
0: You know? mm-hmm.
1: It's like, you know, in many ways, you can say the Beatles are that way.
0: Because mm-hmm. oh, even, no
1: even, even though they broke up in 1970, there's continuing interest You know, from different sure. releases that come out through the years, and it never goes away. And it's almost like no matter what Carrie Fisher did the rest of her life, if you're part of the Star Wars team, that's it. That's what you're going to be known for for the rest of your life. More right. than Anything else? Kind of like yeah. being a beetle.
0: I was going to say <laughs> it's like what Paul said to Ringo, uh I'll clean it up and say, uh, you know, you're a you're a, you're a friggin' beetle. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> I have a feeling though that now um as people uh end up, you know, binging out on Netflix or whatever now and then they're going to run into a lot of films that Carrie Fisher was in. And they will say, oh, hey, there's Carrie Fisher. I mean, As, a you know, mat- yeah. As a
0: matter of fact, last just last night I watched uh, HBO uh, is showing – I think they had already scheduled it uh, anyway to uh, showing her, her one-woman show from, I guess, uh, four or five years ago called Wishful Drinking. Yeah. And it's – if you've never seen it, it's fabulous. Hmm. It really is.
2: But, you know, the Sean connection was new to me. I mean, until he posted his inst- first Instagram thing and, and talked about how close they were, I, I, I had no idea. And uh, mm. so, I mean, if they wrote songs yeah. together, I, I'd really be interested in hearing them. And um, I hope yeah, he does, I, does put I, those I, out. I, I,
3: I, yeah, I haven't. I mean, I other than uh, I don't. I didn't know that somebody commented on what I had written this afternoon. So mm-hmm. I hadn't heard that before. But if if that is indeed true, yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, to See,
1: it is true because Sean. It's, it's Sean that said it. Sean okay. said he wrote a few songs with her, and he's considering mm. releasing
0: them. Oh, okay. And next we have two. Major figures in the formative years of the Beatles, who who passed within uh, within about six days of each other. Yeah. Um, one is uh, Sam Leach, who was um, perhaps the first major promoter of the Beatles in Liverpool, and the other is Alan Williams, who um, uh, was their their actually their first manager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and is also one of the was one of the one of the great characters in <laughs> yeah. in, in the Beatle world. Mm-hmm. And um uh Alan did the uh, the, the the New York Times uh, obit for Alan Williams. And um i I think especially a lot of maybe second, third generation fans they may be somewhat familiar with Alan Williams. They're probably less familiar with Sam Leach. And in fact, when Sam passed, I had to kind of search my my brain to think now, where, now which what was his connection again? And I had to actually had to look it up. Yeah. So I figure uh we'll call on Professor Cozen <laughs> to uh to give us
2: <laughs> Yeah, my my part of this week's necrology department is Exactly Um <laughs> Yeah, you know, Sam Sam Leach was, um, you know, really a a lot less of the story than, obviously, than Alan Williams was. Um, uh, You know, he was a promoter. He did put the Beatles on in some big shows. He did have ambitions to manage them and apparently wanted to... He wanted to start a record label and record them. And, uh, but it was, that was even after they had done their Hamburg recordings and uh, with Tony Sheridan. And, um, what he said they told him was that they had to wait, you know, this was in the period before they were signed by EMI, that they had to wait for the Hamburg contract to lapse before they could do anything. But that's when he was talking to them about making records. Um, he had big dreams, you know, and he put on, some you know big legendary shows in Liverpool this one called operation big beat that you know had all of the big liverpool groups um and other things like that but uh, you know uh, even i think for first generation beatles people, certainly in the U.S., um, mm-hmm. it's not a name to conjure with. You know, you sort of know the name, you've read it here mm-hmm. and there, he's he's popped up a number of times, um, there's, I've heard some... People who know a lot about this stuff saying that he takes, you know, a lot of credit that isn't necessarily really is to take. Um, So, in fact, I I remember when uh, when I went over to see Paul's Cavern show in 1999, Sam Leach was on TV a lot um, as, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, an expert eyewitness type about – their early career and and, and even then, uh, uh, he didn't have an awful lot to say apart from you know the, the concerts and Operation Big Beat and that kind of thing. Um, he did,
3: he did do Beatles I know because I saw yes. him in, in yeah. California so he uh, he, he yeah. appeared at not only here but I think he did him in
0: in the UK also.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So just going to parenthetically say say that he was a, a fixture at the the Mersey Beetle convention
2: mm-hmm.
0: in in Liverpool every August. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So Alan Williams was a much bigger deal, obviously. Um, you know, basically I, I would say anyone who's followed the story closely knows his part in it or some of his part in it. Um he, he managed them only very briefly really. And for a while, there was some doubt about whether he he could really be called their first manager at all. I mean, for a long time, the Beatles were, you know, not willing to say that, that much. Um, Mm -hmm. If you look, for instance, in Bill Harry's Beatles Encyclopedia, he notes that um, in the entry about Alan Williams, that the Beatles (laughs) themselves have have, uh, said, you know, not really, but subsequently, after that book was published... um, I think Paul McCartney is referred to him as their first manager. Um and in all practical, you know, ways, he was their first manager. I mean, he did what a manager does. I he he gets them jobs and he takes a percentage. You know, that's <laughs> so um uh yeah, Alan Williams, I mean he was an interesting guy. He was not a rock and roll fan at all, but he was mm. um as I think Mark Lewis once put it in in one of his earlier pieces about about this he was uh, a, an opportunist and i i think he didn't necessarily mm. mean it that negatively i think he meant it in terms of alan williams could see something that even if it didn't interest him he could tell that this was a good business opportunity and the um gene vincent uh and Eddie Cochran concerts that were, I think they had like a week at the Liverpool right. Empire. You know, he saw that and he said, hey, you know, I could put on something like this. And he called Larry Parnes in London and said, I'd like to, you know, if they have an extra date, I'd like to bring them back up to Liverpool and do a big spectacular, you know, with lots of um, smaller acts from London and some of the acts from Liverpool because he was already beginning to sort of represent casting the Casanovas and some of the other groups around there. He ultimately ended up representing also Jerry and the Pacemakers, and for a Mm -hmm. while, I think he did Rory Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, which had Ringo in it. And at one point, once after he began doing this, uh, you know, the Beatles or at least John Paul George and Stu Stu had become close friends with him um, mm-hmm. and they were hanging around the jacaranda you know not doing very much and you know as we know from Tune In, the Beatles as such and it weren't even the Beatles yet they were a number of names <laughs> including Stole the <Aquarium, laughs> um, really were not they had nothing going uh, and at one point John asked Alan Williams you know why don't you do something for us And Alan Williams uh, didn't even really know they were a group, you know, Uh, and said, uh, "Okay, well, you know what? And they talked to him and it was clear that they didn't have a drummer. So he was the one who came up with Tommy Moore. Tommy Moore is a, a, another name that I, you know, I think the first generation Beatle mm. obsesses will know, but maybe not others. Everyone mm-hmm. says Pete Best was the Beatles' first drummer. I, you know, Tommy Moore was way before Pete Best. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so Alan Williams got him. He was a guy who was an older drummer. He was a jazz guy. He worked had a, a job at Garston Bottle Works that he didn't want to give up to be a star, um, and. Uh, so he started playing with them, and the next thing Alan Williams did for them was help them, you know, get into that audition with with his pal Larry Parnes to uh, back Billy Fury on tour. Fury and Parnes both said, "Yeah, you know what? Well, you can you can be the backing group, but you got to get rid of the guy with the sunglasses and his back to the audience who can't really play the bass that well." Oh. And you know, in in uh, one of <laughs> I don't want to say one of the few examples of John Lennon showing loyalty to people, because that's not totally true, but he did turn on people a lot. Um, mm-hmm. he he said no, no, you know, you we're we're not getting rid of Stu, and so they lost that job. But got another, um, which was backing Johnny Gentle. Um right. and that was, you know, so Williams was really involved in that transaction, which really was their first tour as a professional group. Now, I got a note from Mark Lewison. <laughs> Saying, well, okay, they were professional in the sense that they got paid, but they were really not a professional group at the time. And okay, I understand what he means, but you know, prof- people who are paid to do a job, that is the operational definition of professional. And this was the Beatles on tour with this guy. I did say in the obit that before Hamburg, they were a disaster and right. it's also clear that scotland was before hamburg and i mm-hmm. also said that the tour was a disaster so i i think readers got the picture basically but um you know they ended up losing more in that transaction because um they had a car crash he and lenin didn't get along um you know all kinds of stuff well, uh, plus
0: um um in in fact alan told a great story that was in the uh the bbc beatles story about his i guess his live-in girlfriend right tommy moore's live-in girlfriend made him choose (laughs) yes (laughs) exactly yeah. You I know, have you a feeling all, like, all you can all piss off yeah you know it was probably
2: it was probably the right choice for him because I don't see him having gone the distance I mean they he was older than them they didn't get along I mean if the people talk about peace Pete p- Best not being part of the group, so to speak, in terms of personality. It it seems really unlikely that Tommy Moore could have been really part of the group. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, I mean, he even turned up late for the Larry Parnes audition. And so the pictures that you see of the Beatles – have Johnny Hutch playing drums from from one of the other groups and uh, the big three, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And Johnny Hutch was, you know, he was like a a really tough guy who absolutely hated the Beatles. And you look at the pictures of him and he is showing it. Um, Don't know how he played. He obviously played well enough for them to sort of get the offer of, uh, you know, the job without Stu, but but still. Uh, and, and, and then I think more turned up at the end of the audition. So he leaves and the Beatles found their own next drummer, which was a guy named Norman Chapman. They heard him practicing, uh-huh. you know, and just went up and invited him. And then he got drafted uh so yeah you know th- th- that then for a while paul was playing drums and uh with John and George sometimes filling in so paul could sing but that was when Williams arranged for them to play at the uh you know the cabaret artists club backing the stripper Janice and it was funny oh uh, yes yeah mm-hmm. you know it's funny because uh when I, the the other night i mean when the copy desk at the times was going through the obit um i said they backed he had them backing a stripper, and they and they called and said, "Well, um, so was it just one stripper?" and I said, "Yeah, her name was Janice <laughs> <laughs> they decided that was too much info
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know I mean, be, if mm, only there was a video of that,
2: yes, really, yeah,
1: that performance,
2: <laughs> really." Well, sure, but in, in, and obviously a video with a soundtrack because we know that they played the third man theme, which we have a little bit of from their early touring years from the outro. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And we know that they played uh, the Sabre Dance, which we have no recording of them doing. So I would
3: love to hear it. God, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, oh,
2: Yeah, you know, so, uh, right. But, you know, there's just like Williams was getting them jobs like that. Williams was letting them play in the Jacaranda. Um, and he was getting them some gigs elsewhere in Liverpool uh, and around Liverpool. So, you know, and then suddenly he had, he had made this um, connection with Koshmitter, Bruno Koshmitter. Right. And Koshmitter turned up and wanted. Some Liverpool groups. I mean, there were, there were a couple of transactions where first Alan, Alan Williams tried to sell him some and the tape wasn't working. And uh, uh, that story has been conflated with other, as if it was a, a tape of the Beatles, but it apparently wasn't. It was like Cass and the Casanovas and um, mm. wasn't working. And so they didn't really do any business. But then Koshmitter ended up coming to England and got together with Williams, and Williams began funneling groups to him. And at that point, the Beatles were so bad, or the reputation was so bad, mm. that um and Cass- the Casanovas wrote to Williams from Germany saying, don't send them here, they'll ruin it for all of us. But he did send them. Um, that meant getting another drummer, uh, and that's how Pete Best turned up. Pete Best was auditioned in the Blue Angel, which was another one of Alan Williams' clubs. Oh, I should point out, you know, even before all of these other Williams connections and things Williams actually did for them, um, this is something I picked up from Mark's book uh, from TuneIn, um, John Lennon apparently wrote one after 909 at the Jacaranda. So there's another yeah. connection. And Ringo...
3: Don't, St- don't forget that the Beatles painted the woman's restroom. Yes. Um, there is some,
2: there is serious mm-hmm. doubt about that according to Mark now. First of all, oh, it's, really? it's, it's always said to be Sutcliffe and, and Lennon, but um, it turns out, so far as anybody... Has been able to ascertain it was Sutcliffe and um, Rod Murray. Um, oh, really? Yeah. And, I, and now, I, I, and now, Mark says there's even doubt about that. Um, but at the time he wrote "Tune In," I think he felt secure enough to say that it was Murray and Sutcliffe. Ah. Williams
3: William says that in his book. Right. William right. He says lots of stuff. I mean, the yes. thing
2: about Williams, right. you know, I mean, there's no, a, I... A, a lot of the things that he said himself were sort of tall tales. And so, you know, Mark has done an awful lot of research and interviewing and separating, the, you know, fact from fiction and other people who've done, you know, interviews of noted various inconsistencies. And so it's, it's hard to know what's the absolute truth and what isn't. But, uh, yeah, because you know the the man who gave the Beatles away alan williams's nineteen seventy five autobiography, you mm-hmm. know I mean, has a lot of these stories
3: mm-hmm.
2: um that you know. He may have thought they were true when he wrote them, but also he didn't write them. He had a ghostwriter. And whenever you have a ghostwriter, there's also an opportunity for things to go wrong, you know, for for things that the ghostwriter embellishes, even if you haven't embellished it. So so it's not absolutely 100% reliable. It's a great read, have to say that. So, yeah, you know, also another connection was that Ringo... um, Apparently, first heard the Beatles at the Jacaranda. Um, right. Or, yeah, I mean, uh, whether he was paying attention to what they were doing, I mean, this was pre Hamburg, so they probably weren't real good. Um, mm. And in fact, we know how they were because we have those 1960 practice tapes. Yeah. You know? Anyway, so yeah, uh, Williams arranged that first Hamburg trip, which was everything. I mean, as um, Steve quoted Mark Lewis's concise tweet about it, which is uh, no Williams, no Hamburg, no Hamburg, yep. no Beatles. And that's exactly. absolutely true. You know, Hamburg made them what we all came to love and admire. And, oh, but it was oh, oh. in Hamburg uh, that, like, the seeds of the disintegration of the relationship came about. Yes,
0: I was just about to ask about that.
2: Yeah, because, uh, you know, they, while they were there, they ended up negotiating with uh, the top ten to go perform Mm -hmm. there next time they came back. Williams, uh, and and they decided, therefore, that they didn't need to pay Williams his commission. Um, Right. Williams took the view that since they were there on his work, anything that they turned up, through that original contract he still is entitled to a commission for i'm not a Mm. lawyer i don't know which of them is right but the fact is they negotiated that themselves and um so they had a disagreement he um threatened to sue them but didn't end up going through with it and uh you know tried to sort of blackball them in liverpool uh when they came back but they were at that point now so hot that there was no mm-hmm. way that promoters could, you know, not book them. I mean, people wanted to see them, and uh, so and that basically is the Alan Williams story, except for a brief coda, um, mm-hmm. where in about 1975 or so, he uh, shortly before he he published the book, he and had had come up with the uh, the Hamburg live tapes. Um, recorded by King Size Taylor Um, Mm -hmm. and he had this great plan which was, uh, you know, okay give me the tapes, I'll take them to Apple and I'll get the Beatles to buy them from us and put them out themselves and we'll all get rich, you know Uh, and that's basically what he described his meeting with George and Ringo as being about and that he told them and they said, listen you know, we we are... uh, not liquid at the moment is not quite how they put it, but um, <laughs> you know, um, but basically they said no thanks, and so he ended up licensing the or selling the tapes. I'm, I'm not sure what his arrangement was, um, but then they came out in 1977, as we all know, and and the Beatles sort of tolerated it for a long time. They never didn't bother about it until Sony had a version of it out. And I guess Mm. Sony was a big enough label for them to say, okay, wait a minute. And they sued Sony in 1992 and got them taken off the market. So,
0: um, yeah, and Alan Williams... Which is is ironic considering that Sony now, you know, not only do they own the publishing, but also, you know... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, uh, you mentioned um, the fact that In 75 and in that period, he was trying to get the the Hamburg tapes out. Mm -hmm. I saw Alan Williams at the third of Joe Pope's three mystery tour conventions in Boston. Mm-hmm. uh this was in the summer of the summer of seventy six mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and uh at that time he was uh he was actively trying to uh to get a uh uh get an american la- get an an american label uh to uh to release the uh to release the tapes
2: and i think he played bits of them right i mean that there's a bootleg yes. of 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 red hot that came from someone taping his talk at that yep. convention
0: yep exactly yeah
2: hmm <clears throat> You know. So, yeah, you know, and otherwise, you know, he went on to be a, a, a regular figure at Beatlefests all over the world. He he promoted the first one in England. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I actually I never actually met him and spoke to him, but I did see him once. Um, it was also on that trip um, when I went to cover Paul at the Cavern. I was walking up Matthew Street. And walking in the other direction, talking to somebody was Alan Williams. And there were a bunch of other people from the Beatles story that I saw in pretty much the same way. And it, it was very surreal. It was like, you know, it's like being in Yellow Submarine or something. Yeah, just,
0: right.
3: <laughs> just walking
2: up the street and you're seeing all of these legendary characters walking past you. But hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, you know, he stayed in yeah. Liverpool his whole life, you know, and and mm-hmm. was a, a big figure there. And this past May, he um, was given a you know on, uh, uh, I can't remember what the the award was called, but the city of Liverpool gave him a, 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 a special award. And uh,
1: yeah,
0: so so start the to...
2: a question.
1: I mm-hmm. have a question. Yeah, this whole idea of Alan calling his book "The Man Who Gave the Beatles Away." <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> considering the fact that. You know, the Beatles negotiated their own deal in Hamburg without him. Mm-hmm. Weren't they pretty much giving up on him? Or were they possibly thinking when they went back to Liverpool that they would still be able to use him in some capacity?
2: Well, they did, actually. They 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 did use him um, from December until about April 61, you know, to, to book dates and things. Um, it's Jeez. just when they went back in April 61 and decided not to pay him his commission – that the right. split occurred, um, yeah. It, 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 I guess the man who gave the Beatles away is a more tantalizing title than the man who let the Beatles slip through his fingers. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, is, you're right; which is it's not way, accurate.
3: Which is the way he puts it, basically, in the early on in the book that he he let them slip through his fingers, yeah. right? And
0: that he basically also that he basically said to Brian Epstein, you know, right, Brian, you take them, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> He also said that he told Brian that he wouldn't touch them with a barge pole with exactly expletive before a barge pole. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know what he could have done differently. I mean, uh, you know, I suppose with wisdom of hindsight and only with wisdom of hindsight, you mm. could say, okay, you know what? They're going to be so big that I can let this 10% of these Hamburg commissions go and, and continue being involved with them. But, I mean, who knows if – I, I really don't think he could have done for them what Epstein ended up doing. With no, them. I, think it was I think so. The chemistry of Epstein's personality in theirs and Epstein's particular gumption, you know? Right. But I mean, Williams had some of that gumption too. I mean, he called up Larry Parnes out of nowhere to do the Cochrane Vincent show, you know, and had a little partnership there for a while. So, uh, you know, who knows what he would have been willing to do.
3: Right, and he was, and he was a character. I mean, he's he's got a, an incredible oh boy. reputation as a as a character. Uh, I I just published a piece uh, this morning with. Uh, uh from Charles Rossonay who talked all about him and he said sure. the guy was he said the guy you know uh, he was uh he, he called him ornery and uh mm-hmm. but he also said he was a very he was a nice guy too and uh i mean the the one story I, that i think that has gone through the years that you always hear with with Alan Williams is that uh he loved to uh i guess to uh tip a few as uh, would be the nice ones. Oh yeah. <laughs> so oh yeah. yeah.
0: You know, he was very much that kind of a guy. I mean, he was very much that kind of a guy. So, Especially at the conventions, all you had to do basically was, you know, bring him to the bar and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, get a, get a couple of drinks into him. And he would have stories up the wazoo, whether how many of them were true, who knows, but... Mm-hmm. But still, yeah. he would have a you know a million a million different stories. But mm-hmm.
3: if nothing if nothing else, he was one of
0: the the bigger characters in the Beatles story. Absolutely, that's the mm-hmm. way that's the way no that question. Is. And and you start to wonder of you know other than maybe the contemporaries like you know like Jerry Marsden and Frida Kelly and um, maybe a, a few other people from the bands in in Liverpool. You know, of the you know, kind of the old guard, who's left?
1: Billy mm-hmm. J. Kramer.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, Billy J. That's what I mean. The you know, other than the you know, Billy J. And, and Jerry. And you yeah, know,
3: let's not let's not run down the list. Uh, I, yeah, I, the list is dwindling year by year. Yeah, it's true. And God, and God forbid, who's who's gonna who we're gonna lose this year? You know. Yeah,
0: and speaking of which. Obviously, we had this, uh, this one-two punch at the, very, at the very end of the year. But as a matter of fact, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the music world seemed to be particularly hard hit by the number of uh, departures during 2016. And, the, uh, and a number of them had connections to the Beatle world besides Alan Williams and Sam Leach. And uh, Steve has, uh, has the whole list.
3: Well, yeah, I have a what I think is a pretty good list. Um, and again, it, I mean, some of these are more tenuous than others as far as connections to the Beatles go. Not a, you know, but there are some pretty strong ones. You got Robert Stigwood. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got David Bowie. Uh, of course, you've got Sir George Martin. Uh, I can't, uh, you know, Chips Moman. Chips Moman, who who um, who did those uh, sessions with Ringo? Uh, Henry McCullough. Leon Russell, of course. Uh, um, that's one that's personally gotten to me. I've been mm. listening to a lot of Leon lately. Um, Greg Lake from the All-Star Band. We mentioned George Michael. We talked about Sam Leach, Alan Williams. Maurice uh, White from, um, from Earth, Wind & Fire, uh, who did uh, Gotta Get You Into My Life. Great Right. Uh mm-hmm. a pr- Prince who did the uh that great solo on that uh while my while my guitar Wheats at the at the Rock mm-hmm. and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Scott Scottie Moore who was a huge, huge influence to George Harrison. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and also engineered um of Blues. That's right. Right. Uh, Bobby V, uh, who
3: did the original Take Good Care of My Baby that the Beatles later covered. And of course, we mentioned Carrie Fisher already, and I mean, we may have left out a couple there, but I mean that's a pretty, pretty extensive list of everybody, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Billy it, Paul. Is,
3: mm-hmm. All is there, right. Yeah. Is there a fetal connection there that
0: I'm not aware yeah. of? Yeah. Um, Just that he he had
1: he had a hit on the R&B charts with his cover of "Let Him In."
0: That was it. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. It was not a good year for the music world in general, but uh, Beatle connections were were pretty uh, were pretty uh, numerous
0: there. So mm-hmm. now, uh, swerving uh, about three hundred and sixty degrees uh, to, some, to something uh, <laughs> to something uh, much much more positive, uh, Paul McCartney made a little bit of news over uh, over New Year's weekend. Right, yes. Steve? Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> he he showed up with. Uh, he
3: played uh, with um, the Killers, the killers. Uh, yeah. at uh, St. Bart's at a at a I guess a private Christmas party uh, for. Uh, um, I don't have the article in front of me. I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, um, he played. He sang uh, "Helter Skelter" and the uh, oh and the the clip of it was, it was great uh, 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 it's Robin Abramovich was the guy uh, was the party and um, the version he did he sounded great doing Helter Skelter it was a beautiful version there's a couple of uh, videos of it around I did an article for Billboard and and, and clipped together some of the videos um, but uh, yeah there's some there's some decent videos of that, that you can that you can find out there but the bill my billboard article has uh the one that the killers posted and a couple from youtube uh so um if you want to yeah. see it if you haven't seen it but it's a, yeah it's a great ver he did a great version sounded good sounded good we'll we'll see what happens come uh April when he goes and, and also he announced he was going back on tour again so mm-hmm. uh that's gonna be interesting to see how far he gets uh it's starting in Japan. And uh, people are already wondering where he's going to go next. And I know people are posting, will he come to Australia? Which he, for some reason, has has been avoiding. And I don't know why. I don't know what that. Uh, the only thing I can think of, guys, and guys, what do you think? Is that uh, the timeline for him is just too much now? He doesn't he doesn't like that. Although he is going to Japan, so I don't know what the what the problem is with Australia.
2: Yeah, once he's in Japan, he might as well just hop over
3: there. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. maybe it's not maybe that maybe, far. Right? Maybe he will. Who knows? I don't know. But
1: nobody right. ever asks him. You
3: know? no, well, maybe we should ask him. Maybe we should get him get him on this show. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> Why won't you play Australia?
3: Yeah, Paul, come on the show. We, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll take you. We'll, we'll I I think we'll have you on the show. I don't think there there's a problem there.
1: But, and I'd be most curious to see if he's gonna shake up his set list at all. So,
3: oh, I'm. I would bet. I would Probably bet it's not. Gonna, it's gonna happen. Um, I would also <laughs> bet. Obviously, two different that, opinions right there. I, yeah. I would also. I, I would bet he'll change at least one song for the. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's not a lot. Yeah, that's, no, I mean, that's, not, <laughs> that's not shaking. it up. He didn't change. He didn't change a whole lot this year. Um, you know. But I would bet that 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 he'll do about the same. Uh, because the big question is how long will the tour be? And starting in, yeah. April, starting in April means he's. It looks like he's already cut it back a little bit. And I would not be surprised if that continues. And but I would also not be surprised if there were more dates. And that's uh, so we'll see what happens.
1: Let's yeah. hope he plays the states. That's there's no guarantee of
3: that so. right there's no guarantee and i've but yep. i've already heard from people you know wishing that he would play in various areas and and obviously there's no way to know at, at this point, but uh, we'll see what happens
1: well, he's good at tackling areas that he hasn't played for a while he's very aware of that so what's
3: mm-hmm. left what is left after the last couple of years I mean unless he wants to play uh East McKeesport or something like that. <laughs> well, there,
2: there is there is Portland, Maine. Um.
3: <laughs> That's true. That's true. But he maybe yeah. he may not do Portland, Maine, just because he knows. Um,
0: <laughs> or Pittsburgh.
3: Or Pittsburgh. Yeah. Well, no, he's played Pittsburgh, hasn't
0: yeah, he? Yeah, but not, not since I've been here. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. I'm not yeah, sure never. what the, I'm not
2: sure there actually is a venue around here of the size he is currently used to. Play would out. you
3: care? Would there you care?
2: Would he well, he might.
3: Yeah. Oh, that's true. He
2: might. <laughs> I mean, hey, you he can come play in my living room. As far as I'm concerned, you know, right? <laughs> Doesn't need to be a big venue for me.
3: <laughs> no, that's true.
1: He has never played in New Haven, Connecticut. <laughs>
2: really?
3: Uh oh. Uh oh. Mm. There huh. you go. See, and, talk di- and Dylan has played in both
2: these places. Yep. Dylan has yeah. played in Portland and New Haven, so hey, come
1: on, Paul. Okay, huh? but he he there was a possibility he was going to play the Yale Bowl mm. in 1993.
3: Wow, there was a lot really? of talk
1: about it, and it, he backed out of it. Mm-hmm.
3: Paul has played San Jose and San Francisco. I don't think he's ever played Monterey though, which is about a couple hours south of where I am. Um, so that would be that would be an interesting uh,
0: place for him to go. Or, are, the, yeah. um, are the are the 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 fairgrounds or whatever they were called, where the Monterey Pop Festival was held? Are they? Does that does that still exist?
3: I don't. You know, I don't know. I've se- I've I've been there. Um, I was there shortly after. Um, as a matter of fact, when we came into California, we stopped there. Uh, what turned out to be the fairgrounds just after, and I saw the stage. But I don't know if they're still there. I believe they are. I mean, I believe that – I don't know if the, if it, how different it looks. But it probably
0: looks a little different now, but the, I would assume the fairgrounds are still there. Because given that the, uh, this June is the 50th anniversary of, uh, of the Monterey Pop Festival, and since Paul was on the board mm-hmm. for the festival – that would be uh, that would be a nice little touch. Mm-hmm. I, hey, we doubt, s- I highly doubt it'll happen, but we could start a rumor. Yeah, exactly. I'm
3: sure I'm sure somebody will pick up on it and write it and say they've heard it somewhere.
1: <laughs> right? Well, he, he did something for a candlestick park.
3: That's true. true. That he did. So mm-hmm. we will
0: see we will see. Yeah, I mean you could tie in the uh the 3 anniversaries in June, you know, the the Sgt. Pepper anniversary, the All You Need Is Love anniversary and the and Monterey. I would not at all be surprised if something happens with Pepper.
3: I would not. Well, but we will see. Mm-hmm. We will see you, we, we will we've
1: see. said we've said before they're not into anniversaries.
0: Mm, but have also-
1: Pepper they may be cuz
0: yeah this is this is a past. big one yeah yeah because when they did roll out the first batch of cds right sergeant pepper was the only one that got its kind of its own its own separate release and mm-hmm. was packaged <laughs> at least a little better than the than the the others had been
2: right. right and the whole schedule was built around being able to release sergeant pepper on his 20th yes. anniversary so yeah
0: exactly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
2: yeah
0: okay so. so we shall see righty so uh I think we uh we will uh, we will wrap it up this is unfortunately this uh this discussion has been primarily about people dying but uh, still it was uh it was a very interesting uh, interesting discussion and Steve, how do people get in touch with us
3: uh you can get in touch with the show at uh, things we said today radio show at gmail.com we have a Facebook page things we said today radio show uh, or Beals Beals show fans and we're also on Twitter at things we said fab and we will be choosing the winner we haven't done it yet of the contest. And so we do have – the the contest is over. We have new and several, several entries. We thank all of you for responding, and we will announce the winners soon, perhaps and
0: what next week. And, what, and the prizes again were? The
3: prize were the blue the Blu-ray Deluxe version, two copies of the Blu-ray Deluxe version of eight days a week.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and we thank everyone for writing again. We've gotten a great response to it.
0: Yes, yeah. we did. Mm-hmm. Alan, how do people get in touch with you?
2: Oh, probably uh, the easiest way is on Facebook at either Alan Kozen or Alan Kozen Remixed. Or just okay. through the group email. Yeah.
0: Mm hmm. Same, pretty much same here Facebook, Al Sussman, Twitter at ASUSS49, or through Beatle Fan Magazine, www.BeetleFan.com uh mr michaels how uh first of all i'm sure you have various uh, things contests and all kinds of things going on on your uh, uh on your website and also uh you're gonna mention your new affiliates for every little thing
1: hmm. okay on the website i have a special contest going on right now where you can win five tremendous prizes all in one package This is the biggest contest I've run of the past year. It's kind of uh, crossing over into 2017. I am giving away the Beatles one plus CD and DVD, eight days a week, Blu-ray deluxe, uh, the Beatles live at the Hollywood Bowl CD, Pure McCartney, double CD and Kiddo Tools book songs you were singing. You can win that in a special contest. Just go to my website for all the details. KenMichaelsRadio.com. There's also a Beatles trivia and games page where you can win one of nine prizes every single week. And those same five prizes are on there too. <laughs> so you can win them individually on the Beatles trivia and games page. You can follow me on Facebook at Ken Michaels. And my email address is att.net. And as Al said, this has been a good time the last few weeks. I've been getting new stations taking my syndicated radio show, Every Little Thing one of which is a station that's actually based out of Connecticut, and they have all kinds of innovative programming. Uh, They're called Cygnus Radio, -Radio C-Y-G-N-U-S-Radio.com. I'm on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. there. That's Eastern Standard Time. Um, I'm going to be very soon uh, this coming weekend, I believe, on a station in Alabama, uh, which (laughs) it's an a.m. political station. Go figure. But it's Uh-oh. down. <laughs> hey, love wants my show can happen. But the best thing to do is really to go on my website. There is a page that says every little thing and has a list of all the stations that carry the show and the broadcast dates and times. And um, if they carry my syndicated show, they have access to all my shows. So at any time during the week, all these stations can be playing different shows online. It's not like it usually isn't syndication. Every station plays the same version, you know, the newest show. It doesn't always have to be that way, but uh, it's right there. And I have somewhere it's uh, 20, 21 stations right now. And it's growing. So where so, if,
0: the, so if every little thing um, is being heard on an AM station in Alabama, that must account for why Ringo was wearing an Alabama <laughs> t shirt over you the You figured weekend. out
1: everything, else
0: absolutely get- <laughs> that's got to be that's got to be it that's got to be it shirt that
1: said the crimson tide right
0: yeah yeah Yep. okay cool yeah that's it <laughs>
1: otherwise um is isn't rick glover from oh no he's from
0: georgia right no 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 oh, no the uh rick's uh, rick's from well actually rick's originally from tennessee right okay. right alan i don't know yeah, I think he's originally from Tennessee. Uh but uh, but of course uh Bill King, the grand high exalted mystic ruler of uh of Fang <laughs> magazine, uh he's he's from the University of Georgia, so I'm sure uh ha- I haven't heard any reaction yet, but uh he probably couldn't have been too terribly happy about seeing Ringo in an Alabama t-shirt. Mm. Okay, well, you know, all those SEC ties. So anyway, <laughs> this has been uh, this has been a fun, dis- well, uh, more or less a fun discussion. But uh, wanted to wish uh, you folks a happy new year, and as a as I keep saying, let's hope that 2017 is a whole lot better year for uh, for all of us and uh, for uh, Steve Marinucci and alan cozen and ken michaels this is al sussman and uh, uh we thank you for listening to things we said today and we will see you next time